I have a guest today that I really want you to meet because he has so much incredible information to share about something that we at the National Police Association talk about all the time. And that is the rogue prosecutors that are a plague on this nation, a plague on our justice system and are affecting the jobs of day-to-day law enforcement officers and the city and the citizens that we are trying to help. Kelly Stinson, welcome to the program. Betsy, thanks for having me. It's an honor. So, Kelly, you are uh, your Navy veteran. You are a uh, former prosecutor on multi-levels. Uh, before we talk about the Heritage Foundation, uh, tell us a little bit about your career. Well, sure. I, uh, uh, of course, went to law school, and then I joined the Navy JAG Corps, where I was a prosecutor in San Diego, and then I was a chief defense counsel in Europe during the Bosnia-Herzegovina War. Um, then I got out and became a a local prosecutor in San Diego. I married a prosecutor who was a deputy DA in the San Diego DA's office. And then uh, we moved back east and I was a homicide prosecutor in Maryland for a while. Um, and eventually I became um, an assistant United States attorney handling sex crime, violent sex crimes and homicides here in the District of Columbia. And there was no lack of work to do in any of those jobs. Yeah, right. <laughs> So we at the National Police Association, we're big fans of the Heritage Foundation and, and all the good work that you do. Talk about uh, talk about heritage and and what what you do for this country. Heritage was founded in 1973 as a public policy educational foundation in D.C. They call it a think tank. And we're an idea factory for Congress, not only at the federal level, but at the state level and governors. Uh, so we have a domestic policy side and a foreign and defense policy side, um, and uh, we write papers, we testify in front of state legislatures on the Hill and the House and Senate side, we do a lot of TV and radio, we're educators, uh, and we're trying to convince people that our policy solutions will make their lives better, and in fact, I think in the places where they've been implemented, they have made lives better. Yeah, absolutely. So we have... Honestly, uh, since uh, really for the last 10 years, we have um, really this scourge of George Soros installed radical prosecutors across this country that are negatively impacting our entire justice system and, and quite frankly, negatively impacting our citizens. Talk about uh, the book that is coming out and why you decided to focus on these radical prosecutors. Well, one of the reasons that I started writing about this topic almost four years ago now, Betsy, is because my colleague, Zach Smith and I, who were the co-authors of this book right here, Rogue Prosecutors, How uh, Radical Soros Lawyers Are Destroying America's Communities, um, you know, We've had the privilege of being prosecutors. He was a federal prosecutor like me. I was a criminal defense attorney. I was a judge for five years in the Navy. We believe in the rule of law. We believe in the presumption of innocence. We believe that victims have rights, that police and law enforcement should be respected, that bad apples should be weeded out. And what we saw back in 2019, Betsy, is that this rise of these Soros bought and paid for or inspired rogue prosecutors was really upending uh, the criminal justice system as we know it. And we know, especially your listeners, that 
violent crime and crime rates have been going down dramatically for the last 30 years. And that didn't happen by accident. It happened because the 2,300 elected DAs around the country and the 18,000 police departments around the country and all the stakeholders in the criminal justice system worked together at the peak of the last crime wave in 1992 to say, you know what, we got to figure other creative ways to drive down crime. Part of that was increasing punishment. Part of that was sentencing people to long periods of time. But it was also created in specialty courts. I've worked in domestic violence court, uh, drug court, family court, family justice centers, veterans courts, and thousands of different alternatives to incarceration that would create a carrot and stick approach to have people realize the error of their ways and then work to get back on to a life of prosperity. And so just as crime rates have been going down for 30 years dramatically, incarceration rates have been going down dramatically since about its peak in 2007 or eight. And so when you run into a movement, which is really well-funded because of George Soros and Kerry Tuna and Dustin Moskowitz and other tech billionaires that believe one, the entire criminal justice system is systemically racist. Of course, that's just wrong. And that the only way to fix the problem, there's no problem, uh, is to, quote, reverse engineer and dismantle the criminal justice system as we know it. Those are their words, not mine. And so what do they do? They install pro-criminal anti-victim zealots. Uh, and they have a whole series of policies which we'll talk about. And so we coined the term rogue prosecutor back in 2019. And I'm glad folks are picking up on it and we've done a lot of writing about it. And now we have this book coming out. We'll be at the National Sheriff's Association annual convention. Hopefully we'll be at the FOP annual convention in Vegas and other uh, state uh, law enforcement associations around the country as we roll out our book and talk about it for the next year or so. But, you know, there's about 74 or 75 of these Soros bought and paid for rogue prosecutors out of 2,300. But when you look at the jurisdictions where they sit, and you look at the populations which they serve, which they're not serving them at all, uh, that's over 60% of Americans. And so their radical pro-criminal policies are harming the very people they care the most about or pretend to care the most about. And law enforcement and victims are getting the shaft big time. Uh, and uh, this pendulum is starting to swing back. Uh, I wish our book was out a few months ago. Um, but our book talks about the eight worst big city rogue prosecutors out there. And I'm sure we'll get into that. So I want to, you know, I was a cop for 29 years. And, and, you know, the first thing you do as a police officer is raise your right hand and swear an oath to the Constitution. You can't be a police officer or a prosecutor or an attorney in this country and not believe in the rule of law, not believe in a justice system that not only prosecutes uh, people who are accused of crimes, but provides a rigorous defense for those people accused of crimes. I mean, this is a, it's meant to be this two-sided system. Everybody, know how, no matter how horrible they are, what horrible crime they committed, deserves the best defense. And yet, you know, there was a, a, a prosecutor in uh, Cook County, Illinois, that just resigned a few weeks ago, sent an email and made it public and said that in a place like Cook County, Illinois, where the prosecutor there is Soros installed Kim Fox, um, he said, we have become de facto attorneys for the defense. So talk about that. 
Yeah, you're right, Betsy. Look, our system of justice, although not perfect, is the best in the world. And it's the best in the world because of our common law heritage and the improvements we put and layered into the system over the decades and two centuries of our country's existence, uh, the presumption of innocence, uh, the Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, the Sixth Amendment right to a speedy trial, the Eighth Amendment right uh, against uh, uh, cruel and unusual punishments, uh, due process, equal protection of law. But it's based, based on an adversarial system where you put hit a hard charging ethical uh, criminal defense attorney, which I was, I'm an athlete, I hate losing, uh, against a hard charging ethical prosecutor. Uh, and you try that case in front of a neutral, detached, objective judge, and you let the jury of your peers decide uh, guilt or not guilty. Um, but when you destroy one part of that three-legged stool and you swap the prosecutor for a pro-criminal anti-victim zealot, you just destroyed the adversarial nature of the system. And that's why there's disequilibrium now in these cities, because of course, when these Soros folks get elected, they have to abide by the playbook because they got the money, so they got to sing the song. And so what they do is they fire people right when they get into office, they fire career prosecutors left and right. Um, they hire pro-criminal, mainly public defenders, there's nothing wrong with public defenders. I got a lot of friends who are public defenders. I was one in the Navy. Uh, but that's not the role. The role of a public defender is to defend. The role of a prosecutor is to prosecute. Uh, that doesn't mean put people in prison necessarily, uh, but you have to hold people accountable. And so you know, Betsy, for all your years of distinguished service, the criminal justice system is not designed to fix all of society's ills. It's just not. And that's the way these social justice warriors look at it, that it's essentially a form of reparations. This is their words, not mine. They think that modern prison is uh, actually a modern slave plantations. That's what they say. This whole movement comes from the prison abolitionist movement uh, that Angela Davis and others talk about. Uh, it's a sick movement, uh, and it's killing, killing tens of thousands of people around the country, rapes, murders, robberies, carjackings have gone through the roof. Uh, I can show you the stats that are out there, but we've seen them. And it is a false narrative that crime is rising in every city across America. It's not rising in the cities with real prosecutors. San Diego, where I used to have the privilege to work, their crime hasn't gone up. But the first rogue prosecutor was Kim Fox. She was funded by Soros through two PACs, political action committees. Uh, she was installed into office in 2016, and boom, the second she got elected, crime exploded, went through the roof, and the same in all these other cities like Krasner and Philly, Mosby in Baltimore, Rollins up in Boston, who just resigned in disgrace as the U.S. attorney there, um, and on and on. Why are they doing this, and what is the end game? What is their hope for the United States of America, if you will? Well, I'm not sure they have aspirational hopes like you and I do for our families or the United States of America, which would require patriotism. They look at the criminal justice system through race-colored glasses. Uh, they think that the defendants are the victims, that the cops are the bad guys and the real victims are to be ignored. This is their view. It's sick, it's weird, it's bizarre, but it's what they think. And I'm not making this up. These are their words. And in our book, 
which is you know almost 300 pages long with well over 1,200 footnotes and has real crime stories from all of these big offices around the country. So it reads more like a John Grisham crime novel and then some policy on the back end of it. Um, these crimes would not have happened but for their policies. So look, when you think that prison should not exist and you're part of a Marxist-inspired movement to abolish all prisons, and the Brennan Center and the ACLU are calling for 50 to 70% of people in prisons to be let out, and you and I both know you got to work really hard today to make it even into prison, uh, and that 70% of people in state prisons are there because of commission of violent crimes, they live in a different world view than we do because we don't think everyone should go to prison. In fact, most criminals don't go to prison. They should be held accountable uh, and have an incentive not to commit crimes again. But the worst, the worst do need to go to prison and some for life and some deserve the ultimate punishment, in my opinion. You know, these most of these prosecutors are elected. How does that happen? Because, again, presumably the people that are voting these people into the offices are the ones who should be concerned about is my neighborhood safe? Am I going to be the victim of a crime, et cetera, et cetera? So this is the ingenious nature of this movement. They realize that the Betsy Smiths of the world, however great you are at your job, you're not the gatekeeper to the criminal justice system. It's the prosecutor. She and she alone can decide whether to bring a case or not bring a case. And they realize that there's 2,300 elected DA offices around the country, that most of them are low visibility, low dollar affairs in terms of elections. And so they decided for a very small amount of money, relatively speaking, in terms of political campaigns, they can buy DAs. And so when a local DA race in a, in a, in a secondary or third size market uh, county is, you know, $10,000, $15,000, race, and they pop $200,000, $400,000 in to a public defender, to run for DA, boom, that person gets elected. And so, uh, you know, just like we learned uh, during the pandemic that who you vote for for your local school board really matters in terms of the education of your kid, who you vote for for DA directly affects your public safety privilege. Come you know, and I, I'm I'm glad you said that because I think a lot of people don't really understand that that I, as a police officer, I can arrest every bad guy in my city but I'm not the one who takes that case before a judge or a jury. I'm not the one that even decides if it goes to court. Can you explain that to people? Yep. So, you know, prosecutors uh, decide ultimately, you, you make a case. You bring it to me, I'm the deputy, I'm the DA on duty. You bring it to me in the bowels of the courthouse or in my office uh, on Saturday morning or whatever morning it is that you show up in my office. You lay out the predicate facts, you lay out the evidence that you have developed to date, which is not a full development, but you have probable cause, et cetera. Uh, I'm going to decide, not you. I'm going to decide whether to file charges. I'm going to decide whether to take that to the grand jury. I'm going to decide whether you are credible, whether the evidence was collected in accordance with the Fourth Amendment right against unreasonable search and seizure, whether you violated his Fifth Amendment rights. I'm the gatekeeper. You're an important player. You're the arresting officer or the investigating officer, but I get to decide. And when you hire pro-criminal zealots, they're not going to take the cases. And when you hire 
a Soros bought and paid for road prosecutor who waves her regal wand and says, all of these misdemeanors, we're not prosecuting any of them. Most of these felonies, I'm going to force my deputy DAs to water down to misdemeanors. It has a devastating impact, not only on public safety, because crime goes up, but on the cops, because why are you going to put your life on the line? Why are you going to make that arrest? You know, the guy walks into a, a Rite Aid or a CVS in San Francisco, steals $939 worth of stuff, walks out the front door. Are you going to show up and arrest that guy? Of course not, because the DA is not going to file charges because it's only a misdemeanor. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And and one of the things that we've seen with some of these rogue prosecutors, Marilyn Mosby comes to mind it, during the Freddie Gray case. You know, when she decided to indict, the, you know, get, to charge those police officers, she got instant celebrity that really we really hadn't seen before on a national level. All of a sudden she's on stage with Beyonce and she's on stage with Barack Obama. And, and it's there's an extraordinary temptation isn't there for some of these prosecutors to forget their oath of office? Oh, yeah. Uh, we have eight specific chapters on eight specific rogue prosecutors. Marilyn Mosby has her own chapter because she's such a special needs case. She was grossly incompetent. Um, she, of course, lost her primary, thank God, a few months ago against Ivan Bates, who's another Democrat, but he's a law and order guy. And he's trying to you know, clean up the mess that she left. Uh, but, you know, when you're a nobody and the Soros machine comes to you and says, hey, uh, we'll plop you into office. You use all these feel good words like reimagine prosecution and mass incarceration and all this other blather. Uh, you all of a sudden like, hey, whew, all right, I'm ready to go. And you have this whole network, fair and just prosecution, which is neither fair nor just uh, a Soros front group that brings you in, wine and dines you, takes you to swanky vacations in Europe, a safari in Africa where she went, which we have pictures of in our book. Uh, you think, man, I've, I've arrived. This is awesome. So they have a lot of these kumbaya feel-good conferences that tell them how not to do their job, but to how to talk about it in ways that convince the liberal voters in the cities that they're reimagining and they're reforming uh, justice. But to your earlier question, which I didn't answer, why are these people voting for them? They're voting for them because, one, people don't pay attention to DA races. Two, the ones that they do, they pay attention to the ones that have the most advertising. Three, they're armed with really good, poll-tested, feel-good language uh, that talks about reform. Who isn't for reform? That talks about, you know, over-incarceration of Black people. Well, I'm not sure there is any over-incarceration. I think there's actually an under-incarceration of most criminals, if you look at who's actually serving the time, regardless of their color. Um, but that passes muster. Now, I said that the pendulum's swinging back, and it is. The voters in San Francisco, hardly a Republican among them, uh, booted Chesa Boudin from office in a special recall because they'd had enough. They've had enough of the theft, the rape, the robberies, the stores downtown closing, leaving. Um, Tim Fox, uh, the first Soros rogue prosecutor, uh, was essentially forced not to run again and had to announce it. The irony was Tony Preckwinkle, the very person that elevated her to office, is the person that introduced her and gave her the kiss of death on the way out the door. So she's not going to run uh, next year. And why did that happen? It happened because crime is an albatross on their party. And their party is having their national convention 
in Chicago next year, and they don't want a repeat of 1968. Why did Kim Gardner resign in disgrace in St. Louis? Because she's an incompetent boob. Uh, she was barely there. Uh, her office is a disaster. It's hired a bunch of idiots, and crime has gone through the roof. Larry Krasner is the slickest, evilest, most uh, dangerous one of all of them. And wait till you read the chapter uh, about Larry Krasner. Uh, he fired 31 experienced homicide uh, prosecutors the day he took office. And you know what his advice to Rachel Rollins, the disgraced U.S. attorney who just announced her resignation today, um, you know what her, his advice to her was? You need to, quote, fire the ticks, unquote, earlier. He didn't fire enough ticks. Um, so when you add all that up and then all the policies uh, that they enact, which we detail in our book, uh, like the police integrity units, which is essentially a police uh, sniper unit uh, to take out police, uh, figuratively speaking, um, you can see why crime in these cities is horrendous, why morale is terrible, uh, and why people like this guy who just left the Cook County uh, State's Attorney's Office are saying what they're saying. And by the way, we talk to a lot of them off the record in our book and quote them. That's why this book is very juicy, because there's nothing out there like it. That's fantastic. I, I'll tell you, we only got about 30 seconds left. I wish we had about three hours. Tell us where people can find the book and where can they learn more about the Heritage Foundation? Well, the book is available for pre-order on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Uh, you can also type in Google uh, Heritage Foundation Rogue Prosecutors, where you can read all our previous scholarship and see our symposia. Uh, and there's a reason it's the number one new release in law enforcement on Amazon. Kelly, I can't thank you enough for this enlightening interview. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Put the gun down! Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.